This episode of Roderick on the Line is sponsored by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, or online store. For your free trial plus 10% off anything you buy, visit squarespace.com and enter the offer code SUPERTRAIN at checkout. A better web starts with your website. Hello? Hi, John. Hi, Merlin. How's it going? Pretty good. How are you going? Uh, I'm impressed. Mm. How come? I'm impressed. I'm impressed because you're a man who who leaves the house in a vehicle and you go places and you do things. Mm. You spend mm. your morning and your afternoon doing things and then you show up early for a podcast recording. Isn't that something? I, how do you do it? Not only that, but there was a truck fire on the interstate. Mm. Well, there are a lot of trucks on the interstate at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. That seems to be high truck hour but uh there was a dump truck that rolled over and uh, spilled diesel fuel all over the interstate and burned itself i mean burned itself kind of completely up can i present a scenario where that would have never happened hmm yeah if it had been on a train thank you Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. thank you although trains do sometimes crash and burn yeah but they crash at scale you get all. That's right. That's right. It's, like dying, it's like dying on Christmas. It all you get, jam it all into one thing. Yeah. Well, and usually when a train crashes, it also has some tanks of like, you know, liquid sulfuric acid or something, and they have to evacuate an entire town. A bread and circuses. That's what I see. You give them a spectacle. <laughs> I was. I went downtown today and parked in a parking garage. Uh, right at noon. Two, three things I never do, and uh, although I guess at noon isn't a thing. <laughs> but I went downtown at noon. That's the thing I tried never to do. And I parked in a parking garage. So two things I never do. And by the time I reached the seventh floor of the parking garage and had not found an empty spot, I realized something I guess it never, it never fully occurred to me, like the dirty secret of cities that they are hiding all of these cars in these like car hives. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and in the more this is the reason that in the morning and the afternoon there are these tens of thousands of cars that aren't normally on the roads but like everybody drives into town and they pack into these hives and I'm, i don't know i was just driving through this parking garage and i was i was realizing like oh wow this is really the problem this is astonishing that we think this is a good system Ugh. each each one of these cars represents like one person making it from their house to their place, to their job. Every one of these people is probably paying $30 a day to park here. And it's just like this extraordinary waste of resources and people's time and energy and all this like space they had to build to hold all these cars. And just every aspect of it is a, is a colossal, hilarious waste. And... Uh, you know, because it's behind kind of a wall of, you know, like a, it's uh, just packed in there in such a way that I, not just me, but we all walk through the city just kind of blissfully unaware that we are every day like loading these silos up. And I mean, I guess if you work downtown, you're not unaware. This is the, this is the world you live in. But Right. But it's, oh. it, it is like, it's like a they live situation where like uh, you just stop for a second and you look at it and you go, this is crazy. Yeah. And yeah. it's always on the edge. You notice that when a truck blows right. up. Right. But like, does, does anybody ever get to work like half an hour early and get the first space and go, I feel refreshed? 
<laughs> well, and it's so it's so ad hoc. That's the amazing thing, you know. It's like, why is this the system? Well, because every time there was a problem, somebody fixed the immediate problem by building a new on ramp, by building a new <laughs> uh, by building a new parking garage. Like at each step of the way, we solved the most immediate problem. Like. How, I have to go to work downtown, but my wife has to go to work four blocks from there. Well, we got to get two cars. Right. You know, like they saw everybody is solving the problem right in front of themselves. And there is no, there's no collective problem solving. There's no collective thinking in, in the system really at all. You've really gotten me thinking about that a lot in a way that's probably dangerous mm. in the last few weeks talking about, you know, the systems and the grids. And I, 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 I totally agree with you because, you know, again, I say it's like they live because all you really need, you put on the glasses and suddenly you can see, you know, what's really going on. And, uh, but you're right. I mean, most of what's happening if you really, really turbo way up, a lot of our jobs are probably useless. But even if they aren't useless, or let's say they are useless, you can still probably do it mostly from your house. A lot mm-hmm. of it. Absolutely. What I mean, most people's jobs are like, move this file into that file. Typing. It's all typing. <laughs> right? Basically, and, we're, all, we're just typing different things. And I mean, when you think about that, I mean, and this was the promise. This was the promise of industrialization. This was the promise of of technology was that we would be freed from all this meaningless labor right. right if you if you go back 100 years and you and you imagine what they thought technology was going to provide it was always that technology would provide leisure we were going to be living in a in an environmental like ecotopia right where where we would have to work one or two hours a day and the rest of the time we would be like in pedal powered dirigibles <laughs> Like flying around from just, park to park. It would just be like learning languages and writing classical music mostly. Yeah, yeah thank you. It would be it would be like uh, it would be like the uh, it would be like Spain under the Moors. Pax Romana. Right? Everybody would everybody would speak uh, six different languages. The you know the Jews would be getting along with the Zoroastrians. It was <laughs> like a perfect system. Yeah. And instead, what what we have done again, just because of this ad hoc. Uh, individualism is we've with all of the technology all we have done is create more and more anxiety and more and more work but Ugh. no but like busy work busy work busy work sing busy it work. sister and then you gotta god send the e- you gotta send an email about how you can't drive to someplace on time oh my god i'm driving i'm, I'm driving with one hand i'm texting with another mm. I'm, i gotta post a facebook video of mm-hmm. the burning truck right so then i'm the problem you're not an animal where's my parade i hear you so well, yeah it's just there, insane i'm not a historian but there's an analogy uh people use for lots of different things especially things like old computer code and they refer to it as being like the city of rome where there's never going to be like a great day to just start over you know really manhattan's like this in a lot of ways you just keep building you have some system that barely barely works at doing something we needed 50 years ago <laughs> or 100 years ago and you update that a little bit and then you put some patches on it, and you hack on it a little bit, and you add a new lane, but it's still the same, completely screwed up system, and there's never a good day to just start over and install pneumatic tubes, which is what we really need. Well, we talked about this, I think, a long time ago, uh, in 1999, when my mom started getting all these phone calls from from companies who were like, listen, we're still running the software that you wrote in 1968, and nobody knows how to... F- Nobody knows how to fix it. Right. And 
we'll pay you any amount of money to come back and just let us and figure out how to insert a four four uh four numeral date code because <laughs> all of the banks are going to stop working and my mom was like there is no amount of money that would entice me back in like no Ugh. and and it turned out like it it didn't all come to a screeching halt but but the awareness i had at the at that time that so much of american industry was still running on patched up 40 year old fortran mm-hmm. code was i mean or cobol or whatever or machine right, right. language you know? yeah yeah oh, and that's and that's why i think when the the way that you at least i historically have heard that city of rome metaphor applied most often to no surprise here the air traffic control system oh jesus which you know well i mean you know i i see this at my bank where when i go into my bank if i need to get like a, a cashier's check or something it looks like dos that they're using on there <laughs> Well, and what I what I worry about, or what not, what I I guess it's not a worry, but I I look at that and then I think, okay, how is this a metaphor for my personal life? Oh, like, brother, am I I am ad hoc solving problems in my own life at, at every turn, and if I look at my whole, if I look at the way I live and my goals and my dreams, like what if I stripped away all the all of the infrastructure I think I've built. And really imagine, like, what do I want to do? What would I do with my day if I had no, if I had no a priori uh, premise about how a day had to look even? So part, you're saying kind of like, you know, there's all the stuff we have to do that's just kind of the overhead of doing grown-up stuff, which you could certainly, you know, you call busy work, stuff that feels like kind of a waste of time. Like, if you could remove all of that friction... Would you be able to make your own personal Pax Romano? Would you be able to like be, become a great man? And this, and this, I feel is like is is maybe the the lie of modernity, the idea that we are all philosopher kings. Mm. The more leisure time people have, the more it is revealed that we do not have boundless imaginations. We do not know what to do with leisure because we are beasts of burden by construction. We are meant to we are meant to live nasty, brutish and short lives because we are well, we are pig monkeys. <laughs> As I've said before, like all the leisure in the world produces uh, reality television or it produces a, a culture of gaming that at the surface of it like you know i hate to ever go on the record in any way criticizing gaming mm. because my god you get i mean you know i i got some angry letters about a podcast we did a couple of weeks ago where i said i don't even remember what i said but i said one charitable thing about china and it inflamed the and, the, and, the, and, the, and the joke was that people get mad when you say even one nice thing about China. <laughs> well, I think I think China. There are some people out there for whom China is a trigger word mm. that they whatever silo they're living in, like like China is. They are convinced that China is like the uh, the inheritor of every sort of fascist trope, and so you can't say a nice thing about China because China yeah. bad chemtrails. 
Right. But it, but boy, if you start to talk about gaming, yeah, and say uh, say a bad thing about gaming, you get all this. I mean, because the gamers have spent forty years defending themselves against the PMRC or the or their moms and dads or whatever. Everybody, everybody, another, another kind of civil rights almost. Yeah, everybody had a hard on for gaming for so long that the gamers are like really have their hackles up, but also have their like 25 lines of defense about how valid and valuable gaming is. But in fact, it is games. It, it, it is adult games. It is like, it is like playing Twister really like, and I don't, you know, and, and maybe it is an entire world and a virtual world and a fantastic environment to play in, but it's the holodeck. And that's what we're doing with our, with, with our acquired leisure. Like that is, that is the benefit Right. That is that's how we're spending our savings that we have that we are like mining the mining the earth like stripping it bare and filling the skies full of smoke in order that we not have to like do admittedly the the like difficult work of farming for ourselves yeah like pulling a hoe or whatever and and so we don't have to pull a hoe anymore and we have the leisure now to like put our headphones on and stare at a at like a virtual space and 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 hop around it with our virtual uh <laughs> little man you know you're, our, uh, you're on your own on this one um, our little but, man goes here our little man goes there but as long as we're shooting fish in a barrel i, I will say also <laughs> that uh you know the, you're the, just you're just mad that somebody's going to send you a really really long essay john is the official recipient for all notes on these things he enjoys getting them <coughs> this episode of roderick on the line is sponsored by squarespace the only one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website portfolio or online store you may not even realize it but you are using squarespace right now because john and i have hosted roderick on the line since day one they have been great to us listen guys i am not the sharpest tool in the shed this morning i almost gave my daughter a glass of half and half and I later tried to buy a cup of coffee with my Muni card. I am not a gifted man, but even I can use Squarespace because they make this whole process so simple. They offer an easy drag-and-drop interface with beautiful free templates you can tweak to suit your needs. All the designs are responsive, so they look great on every device. If you ever get stuck, not to worry. Squarespace offers 24 by 7 support through dedicated teams in New York and Dublin. Here's the crazy part. Squarespace plans start at $8 a month, and that includes a free domain name if you sign up for a year which I highly recommend. Every plan comes with the ability to create your own online store so you can sell the stuff you make right from your very own site. So whether you're a podcaster, a musician, a writer, a photographer, or just a fan of Half and Half, please do check out Squarespace and tell them you heard about it from Roderick on the line. In fact, you'll get a free trial plus 10% off anything you buy by using the special offer code SUPERTRAIN at checkout. Our thanks to Squarespace for supporting Roderick on the line. We could not do it without them. Uh, but, you know, but I mean, when you talk about the social media thing, you joked about having to take a, a video of a, of a fire. I do think there is, I was talking to somebody the other day about, about Facebook, and I always feel like I'm a little bit in danger of trying, of sounding like a nut, not because I don't do Facebook, but because I have to remind people, I actually do have to remind people that I am one of the Hill people. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, I'm not on Facebook. And I, I don't have that strong of an opinion about it because it's just something I don't do. I mean, I had a stronger opinion about it when I felt the pressure to have to do stuff with Facebook. But now that I am one of the Hill people, the pressure is not there. But I think all of that stuff, it does create a kind of real anxiety that 
it's almost like if you said to your dog, like, you need to relax, you should start LARPing. And they would go like, no, I'd really just rather go out and be nervous about who's the leader out on the streets right now, because that's more in my nature. Mm. But that same kind of pig monkey drive that uh, would lead a dog uh, not to go out and play D&D in the woods, you know, today, I think that you can find anxiety or social pressure in almost anything nowadays. And this is, to me, what makes the work of Rowdy Rowdy Piper so poignant even today. Mm. I really do. That's well, a, that's I a hell of a movie. I, it is a great movie. And, you know, Robin Goldwasser's father plays a starring role in that film. What? You, you're not hip to this? Did you tell me this? Is he the guy who fights, has a 10-minute fight scene with him? Was that him? No, Goldie's dad is, is, uh, is, the, is the guy. He's like the, he's Roddy, Roddy Piper's guide, guide through to the, to the new. It's his Morpheus? W- way of seeing. Yeah, it's his Morpheus. <laughs> We'll cover this. We can cut all this out. We'll cover this on our separate. I panel. would love to talk to her about that. But, but I feel like anxiety is the it's the glue that holds us all together now. You know, anxiety is the is the uh, is the thing that Don Draper figured out. Sold us toothpaste. Anxiety is the thing that the that the military industrial complex figured out. Kept us pouring money into you know into their black projects anxiety is the thing that keeps us getting married to one another it 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 is the it's the glue that holds us together as a society and again because every one of those things was everything one of those things was a was a solution to a problem that was right in front of us and there was you know and i mean the conspiracists want us to think that there's somebody or somebody's who have a big plan, mm-hmm. but to whatever degree there is a system, it is a patchwork quilt of of small, individuated, uh, like rubber patches on uh, where where the tire kept blowing out, right? And it's just like okay, so now we're living in this world, and and. The, and the the degree to which things work in concert with one another is largely either happenstance or it's just this thing was right next to that thing, so we made the gears the same ratio. But the two things the two things work, you know. But do they like we get five things working together and we think that we are really building something? But does that little ball? fit into this you know the the giant ball pit of other little fiefdoms like none of it does really i i think i think you're right and uh, when you think um uh i hate to put on my futurist hat but you know one of the things that <laughs> <laughs> makes it so it makes it so, so uh, difficult to to try to figure out what's going to happen in the future because we have so much of what we know is based on the past and trying to fix like i say trying to fix a 50 year old problem with something innovative that you know gets that thing fixed like i remember when i first heard that john lennon had a record player in his rolls royce that seemed like the coolest thing in the world <laughs> in, in retrospect it seems very very strange yeah. Certainly luxurious, but but there's there's one thing of, of all that you think think back to all of the um, novels and films 
as just the, all the popular media about what computers were going to mean to people. I mean, and as recently, I don't know if you saw like last night's Mad Men, but you know, people have for many, many years wondered and worried about what parts of our lives com- computers were going to replace. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously in, in science fiction things like what happens when they become too intelligent and, and so forth. The one part of that that still really resonates with me though is that as more things get automated, it does start to feel a little bit like a Woody Allen movie from the seventies or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like if I, I had to change I had I had a charge on my uh, mobile phone bill that was only removable by calling them. So like, there's some kinds of things you can add on the website. I, I, I recently, you know, we we haven't had our actual cable TV box, for example, connected to the modem for months and i've been paying for this and finally i'm I'm like i'm an idiot why don't i just call them and do this so but but in the case of 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 my phone company i had to call them and like sit through a pitch for getting home internet and why wouldn't i want this service but and and in the case of like for example with with my cable company i got to return the modem i got to have a big discussion with them about this and why i'm not enjoying television and things like that and in that case, in both of those cases, I got good people to talk to, but the, the one thing that still carries over from that fear of depersonalization, dehumanization, the computers and AI we're going to bring is the sense that I don't really, there's not really an effective place to turn for almost anything. Mm-hmm. Sort of to your thing about like, if you find the person with the juice, they can help you out. But I had a hundred dollar charge every month on my phone bill and I had to call and like, persuade them that this was something I didn't want to have anymore, even though I haven't been out of the country in, in like a year. <laughs> and and in, in both of those cases, well, why didn't I call them? Why didn't I just call Comcast the first time it occurred to me that I wasn't watching TV and I was right. spending $20 a month I didn't eat or whatever it was? Why didn't I call $100 a month? That's asinine because yeah. I know I'm already dreading. That's the anxiety there is yes. the dread of having to call and sit and find out how many minutes it is until their call will be important to them and, and, and so on and so forth. And I think that's still very real. There's still a yeah. lot of self-editing, self-censorship along the lines of if you like Big Brother or like that camera doesn't even need to be on all the time. I will create all the anxiety needed by my fear of having to interact with that system, having to call about something broken. That like I don't even know if that's then now I'm in Brazil and I'm yeah. worried that Bob Hoskins is going to come in there and make it worse. Right. Yeah. They create a they create a a mental landscape where you pick up the phone, you are going to then enter into a, like a, a, a enter into a virtual world. <laughs> they're their branded experience environment. <laughs> yeah. Right. Where you cannot see the horizon. And you're walking, and you hear your voice echoing, and you're like, "Hello." It's Hello? like it's like Las Vegas. It's like a casino without drinks. Hello. So you're yeah, just and, in this room with no windows and clocks that you can't get out of. You're right, and you can't, you're hearing ticking, but there's also <laughs> like so there's some distant music playing. You're navigating around. It's kind of foggy in there. You're navigating around all these little minor obstacles, and you don't. There's no exit door, or you see an exit door, but it just it turns into it's just it disappears in the fog. And I don't think that was. I don't think there was. Any any brain trust that envisioned that as a solution to their customer service issues. I think they just happened upon it. Like, wow, look at this. We only have five operators and there are 50 people waiting to be helped. And like 45 of them will just sit there forever. So wow, that's, but it is, it is like a video game. What you're describing is like a video game though, in that sense that like, I'm not that good at video games and I know I'm not. And I know that when I get into that system, there's a chance that I will hit the wrong button and I will end up somewhere where I can't get out and the call will disconnect and I'll have to start over and I'll have to dial and wait and all that. And I mean, I might be alone. (laughs) I might be the only lunatic in the world that sits around in fear of having to make that call, but I am in fear of that call and I hate getting to the point where I can hit two or do nothing. 
Yeah. Oh my God. Well, and I'm, as I'm sitting here thinking, I'm, I'm realizing like, this is what was so brilliant about the set design of Blade Runner and Star Wars both. Because both of those, if you think about the Millennium Falcon and the way the Millennium Falcon is designed, it is, it's built in such a way that you see, you see that it has evolved from earlier ships to solve problems. Like the Millennium Falcon is not an elegant design. It is a design, it's an ad hoc design. And over time, you, you can kind of imagine the evolution of a, of, a, of a freighter, of a spaceship. And this is what they came up with. Like, the Death Star is basically just, a, if, when you get in close to it, it's a thousand little condos. You know, it's like a thousand little townhouses and condos and bullshit little towers. Mm-hmm. It, looks because, like, it basically looks like Daily City in space. Yeah, because every single different, uh, like, minor administrator in the imperial system needed his own you know had his own requirements for what the stand you know what the building standard of his little quadrant was and so the death star at a distance looks like a globe but when you get in close it's just this pimply little ball and the same is true of blade runner you get the feeling that like those floating police cars or whatever oh, are are just it's just what happened when you were married to the idea of what a car looked like, but then you put, but then you had like m- sort of minor hovercraft technology, and rather than build a new, a completely new thing, you just built a kind of car-looking thing that also could hover, and that so those those set designs were so convincing and so much like. They, they still resonate with this because it's like, yeah, that is kind of how it would go, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's, it's not like we're ever really going to build something new. We're just going to keep building. Like, why does the Tesla look like a Lotus? Well, because it is a Lotus. And the new Tesla is like a fat Lotus. And the next one will be, you know, will be just a, like something globbed on to the last thing and why the human imagination. I mean, it's not that our imaginations are constrained. It's that you walk into the room and you're like, I've got it. And the first five people you talk to are like, well, boy, to build that would be a real investment. Shouldn't we just, you know, why don't, what, what if we just took the old trains and we painted them gray and we called it, Amtrak. What about that? I mean, that's that'd be a lot cheaper than than doing the thing that you're talking about, like redesigning redesigning the system. Like, let's just let's just keep the old thing. And I uh, I, I watched Blade Runner again last week. Why wouldn't you? It's, it's just extraordinary. If I, anybody is listening to this podcast and hasn't watched Blade Runner in the last month and a half, I don't know what the hell I, I don't know who I'm talking to. It ends up being it's one of those you know one of those movies that ends up being my uh, snap to grid movie. Like it's just what I end up watching sometimes. Yeah. And I, I I mean I've seen it a bunch of times, but there's little details like when when Deckard um, calls Sean Young from the bar on the video phone. And it's and got a. It really is what it, on it. it's got graffiti on it. It's like it looks like that's exactly what that would look like. You know what yeah. I mean? And then of course it's really expensive. It was like a dollar something for the call. But you know they were they were so far ahead of their time. And you know that's what makes like you say that's what makes so much of that stuff from I guess 
for most of us, Star Wars on is that there was a built-in brokenness, you know, to all of it, you know, all the way down to the Death Star having this, you know, vulnerability. But let me ask you this. Uh, let me pivot. So, so the whole movie starts out with the Nexuses. They've gotten too smart and they're killers and now we can't have them on the planet anymore. Mm-hmm. But Tyrell's still making Nexuses. We got a lot of work to do out in space. Is the on the thing. off-world uh, system. Yeah, we're yeah. colonizing all these other like little uh, uh, places. We're, we're out by the Tannhauser Gate. Yeah. You know, we got a lot of work to do out there. And, that, and that's the thing. Like, and and what, what astonishes me, honestly, is that we still have not normalized the concept of a robot handjob machine. <laughs> Like how far, how much further do we have to progress oh, as a society? Talk about a hole in the market. My goodness, robot hand job machine is just a normal thing that you buy at the Sears because that should be like a toaster oven. It should yes. be the kind of thing where for forty dollars you can get a pretty serviceable robot hand job machine all across America. Right, and I'm not saying I'm not saying the other countries of the world because I know techn- technologically a lot of them are have a lot of catching up to do. They are still uh, burning peat to heat their homes. But in America and France and Germany right. and England, people think about the wasted effort, the wasted man, man hours going into... Person hours. Person, I'm sorry, person hours going into either administering hand jobs to other people or all the self-hand jobbing. Yeah, and you know, the, the nice thing about a hand job, a hand job is something that is often given uh, with, and received with glee and delight. It's like a sweet surprise that comes up, and it's a nice thing. But you shouldn't have to depend on it from other That's people. Right. It's like Think- to me, it's like it's like a bidet. Like it'd be, it would be nice to you know, nice. I guess what I'm saying is like I want to still be able to do what I do in the bathroom without there being a bidet there. And in that case, I, I you should you should have a robot that could stand in in your people, stead. People right now, yeah, all. A- around the world are making very questionable decisions in order to try and secure for themselves or their loved ones a hand job. <laughs> and those decisions could be completely, a lot of busy work, a lot of busy work. That's right. Completely ameliorated by what would, I mean, and I think part of the problem is we always imagine that what the technology we're striving for is a perfect robot sex partner that does not have an uncanny Valley, Ugh. so to speak. But in that's fact, that's pretty ambitious, John. You know, think about the technology that's good. I mean, they're going to have to be a lot of cylinders firing together mm. or in sync to build a a perfect sex partner robot. <laughs> but a hand job, I mean, and and you know, a Madam Butterfly is already available mm-hmm. uh, that you can wear under your garments. <laughs> Where's my hand job parade? Where's my fucking Madam Butterfly? And I'm not talking about a fleshlight. No, I'm not that's, talking that, about there's something really undignified about it's a fleshlight. So undignified. Come on. Yeah. I'm, what, I'm, not, I'm not some guy in a white van like parked in front of Rick's <laughs> with a fleshlight going. Like I want it to be normalized so that it's like a vacuum cleaner. It's like a it's a household appliance on Christmas morning. Like, what do you get dad for Christmas? Uh tie? No. I could see mom popping for a pretty nice robot hand yeah, job machine. Yeah, you get him a whirlpool. Think about the time that opens up for her. Well, and you know, and and it, when you're really thinking systemically, has anyone really thought about the m- multi uses 
of like of spooge. Mm, like, 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 let's say I'm going to guess no. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm sure somebody's thought about it, but let's say like, is it a? I mean, is it a good plant food? <laughs> nobody's nobody's tested it, right? I mean, we know that plants love electrolytes. Mm-hmm. That's what think, a plant needs. <laughs> think about what. Think about the the nutrients in 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 jizz. Yes, right? and right now it's all it's all just being sloughed away in shame. It's going down the toilets. Putting of, our putting our putting our uh, putting our lantern under a bushel basket. Thank you. That's right. And 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 we are asking our our sewage treatment plants to process what is probably uh, like eighty gallons of jizz a day. <laughs> And we don't even recognize that's what it is because it's just in there with all the poo and stuff. <laughs> but that is just like p- potentially high protein nutrient. We could be we could be feeding uh, we could be feeding our our ferrets with it. <laughs> Think about what a ferret would do if you put a little bowl of jizz in front of him. He would <laughs> gobble it down. Sweet Jesus. <laughs> so what I'm saying is we need to start to think systemically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and- I like I like the scope of the uh, of the robot handjob machine, and I'm I guess I'm and just thinking robot handjob machine and jizz reprocessor, jizz like well, recy- baby steps, John. But yeah, you're right. So there would be some kind of uh, you know what? Oh my god, um, that's a really compelling idea. But you know, here's the other thing though: is you think about most of the sex stuff is obviously designed with like pervy porno guys in mind and but like yeah. wh- what is the robot handjob machine for a gentleman who's not ashamed to have one let me ask you this how many okay. people like lock their bong up at night right they're not ashamed they got it sitting on the goddamn coffee table yeah that's right it's like oh welcome to my home and there's my bong it's part of my accoutrement and it's certainly it's a little bit outside of the norm as it currently exists but that's changing every day Right, mm-hmm. people are it's much much more acceptable now to have a uh, to have a bong, and much more acceptable for people to talk about to talk, in fact, ad nauseum about their sexual proclivities. Uh, so if much. those sexual proclivities are, uh, if they identify those proclivities as part of their identity, right, as part of their political identity. But what is some what is shared more than masturbation? It mm. is the thing that unites us as a people. That and anxiety. It, and masturbation and anxiety and and my god think about the masturbation anxiety think about what a engine of progress or like dubious engine of progress masturbation anxiety is you've got me thinking you're talking about the grids and the systems i wonder if the uh theoretical hand job economy has a lot to do with why things are the way they are, why there is so much busy work. Because you think about, like, for example, like, let's just say, uh, nothing against bars, nothing against alcohol. That's right. But, like, I bet you the alcohol industry would not be super into the idea of wide-scale adoption of a robot handjob machine. Because, right, they're going to, somebody's going to be buying dessert because you never know what's in the future. Why would you even go to a bar if you didn't have to? And the only reason you go to a bar is maybe you're going to get or give a hand job at some point, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? You're going to get a little drunk. It's not. It's not. Convenient. It's going to seem like a good idea. Yeah. Well, of, you know, there's layers and layers to all of this, John. Jesus so many layers. H Christ. Well, the, and so what we would have to do, though, of course, is you'd have to have some kind of. You wouldn't want to. You wouldn't want to get into a situation where people could have satisfying hand jobs anytime they want it because 
how much of our culture is only how much how much are we trying to solve the climate change problem that we have created only because of the promise of a certain number of hand jobs as a result of the work we're doing right like if that ends up being one of our prime motivators it drives the economy and we just end up and we put you know we we solve that problem we get we we short circuit the the motor of progress we've already we've created a problem we've created it, it, the pro, uh, we've created let's say the the pollution economy and now if we just give ourselves all the hand jobs we want why solve it we're just going to we're going to choke on our own smog sitting <laughs> choke on our own smog we're feed it to our ferrets and while, while our ferrets grow go, grow larger and stronger on a on a diet of pure jizz we need to we need to figure out a way to 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 portion out the hand jobs and then then it becomes a question of who's in charge who's in charge of who gets access to a hand job machine okay who jobs the jobbers so, see this so you're saying it just, should be like you wouldn't want it to be like um like an aspirin it shouldn't be like a hand job pill like it shouldn't be that easy is that what you're saying maybe maybe it would be like a little uh like one of those breathalyzers that you have to use to start your car just make sure you breathe into the right end right you you breathe into the tube you breathe into the tube and some of that hot breath is collected for to add to someone else's hand job you're the real futurist john you know what you're, i mean you're like, not why, you are not afraid to go big picture why waste the hot breath i see because, a theme i see a theme here though that you you it seems like it, it's I don't think of you as uh, foremost as an environmentalist, but you're really looking at the at the at the at the biome. You're looking at the big picture of where all this stuff goes, right? Isn't that? I, it's kind of a big part of it. It seems to me like you're saying we're throwing pennies down our toilet all day long. We should be putting these into some kind of a sperm bank. It's absolutely right. It seems to me crazy, and I think the I think the more conventional way of looking at this is you drive through the town and you look up, especially six o'clock at night in the winter time. You look up through the through the big plate glass windows at the hundreds and hundreds of people on exercise bikes, mm-hmm. all with headphones on, all just plowing away, just burning energy. And, and you know, we, we, we bioengineered the corn that went into their high fructose corn syrup lunches. And now here they are on their bikes, like, like, and they're all plugged away. in. Those are electric. Those are electric machines. They're drawing electricity right. in order to have people generate electricity that goes nowhere. And and the idea that we have not already—I mean, we identified this problem a long time ago—but we have not actually just gone in as a as a human race. No innovator has come along and said, "Look, every exercise bike from here on out has to has to add energy to the grid." rather than take it mm-hmm. like it's just a no-brainer why are we not putting all these exercise machines why are we not developing passive resistance as a technology used in exercise and every single gym in the country should be producing admittedly a small amount of energy but still energy like the the, the food that we are giving to these these human agents these like automatons these human beings that we have paid to sit in front of a computer all day and now to sit in front of a computer and move virtual paper around. Now they, they, in order to even feel alive and feel like human beings, they need to pretend they are pulling a plow. Oh yeah. We pay them. We pay them to sit very still. 
Yeah. Now, why are we not trying to harvest that energy? Why not just go the Why not just get, go the whole hog mm-hmm. and just recognize that we are that that human that it is essentially a kind of matrix where human beings are an extremely inefficient way of of converting corn energy into electricity into fake paper energy you know what i mean like you could just burn corn and probably harvest more energy than you're uh, than than you're going to get from feeding corn to pig to somebody making a floppy bird knockoff yeah, and then having them sit in an Aeron chair all day, and then at the end of the day, telling them to climb virtual stairs while a little video screen, tell you know, while they're watching, like, Fox News. Right, right. Why, why should we not, in that, in that entire process, also have a tube connected to their penis <laughs> where we are harvesting their kids? We're like collecting their sweat, and we're, we're feeding that to, to some other, like, helpful rodents. Uh-huh. We have I mean, why are we not working as why is this not a symbiosis? Yeah, there's a there's a lot of corn being raised for dicey reasons for sure. Jesus H Christ there is. Uh it's just too much goddamn corn. And you know, and the other thing is I'm thinking now about like when I I remember first time I got a watch that winds itself as you walk around. My watch like winds pendulum. itself. I don't drive one of those shifter watches. No. Now you got an automatic. I watch winds winds itself, or like uh, like the way a Prius works. Isn't part of a Prius yeah. like when you hit the brakes, it like adds uh, energy to the uh, battery. Yeah, rather than just rather than convert the the and just ejaculating all of that wonderful energy all over yeah, the road. Rather than convert it into heat, which you then have to dissipate, it is trying to convert it into energy through a generator it sounds like there are i mean once the vision is in place it seems like it's mostly about there's several different sort of arms if you like of the technology that have to go into place here obviously yes we need people working on a rapidly improving robot handjob machine but also we really do need to look into what's being thrown away what could be made for it what could be replaced with it that's right i think about think about a think about a train Mm. right if you if you think about force Time, uh, force equals mass times acceleration, right? So if a if a if a if a, a feather hits you at fifty miles an hour, it doesn't hurt. But if a train hits you at fifty miles an hour, boy, it does. And that's like one of the basic understandings that we have, right? As as people, but we are not we're we're not seeing the other side of that equation. If you think about what it takes to stop. A, a, a fully loaded freight train, the amount of energy it took to get that train going, and mm-hmm. then we have to burn off that energy to stop that train. And there is no locomotive in America, no train in America that has just an extra car in a in a hundred car train, an extra car whose job it is to collect that energy. As we're breaking the train, which we have to do every freaking day, we have to break these trains. We have to, you know, they're coming down out of the mountains, and it's a, it's one of the primary problem. It's one of the pro- primary problems that train people have to solve. This train is going to come down this mountain, and it has so much mass behind it to keep this train from just breaking loose and becoming a wild train. And crashing into the city, like 
it, it, it's it's one of the big technologies of like being trained people, right? We have to keep the train from going out of control. Mm-hmm. But but nobody is saying why are we not harvesting that energy? There's all this energy we're just burning off, and it would be it, it would. I'm no engineer. I am a computer <laughs> science professor, but I'm no engineer. But it would not be that big of a leap to design the next gen of trains where as they break they are sto- they're they're converting that energy into electricity. And, you know, yep. And then what do you do with that? What do you do with that electricity? Well, well, I mean, if we, if we were doing this hand job machines <laughs> and that, you know, and that will end up being, that will end up being a, uh, a, an increment of, of, uh, of like our, uh, of economic thinking, like this locomotive, our brand new locomotive conserves enough energy to power 200,000 hand job machines. I used to think about it in terms of movies. Every time, like uh, in my like post-college years, every time I think about spending money on something, I'd go, hmm, $40. That's like four movies. Mm-hmm. Right. And you're saying this, like a, this becomes the, uh, the coin of the realm. It's like $5,000 is one homeowner monetary unit, an HMU, I like to call it. When I moved into my house... I was like, I need to replace the roof on the barn. And somebody said, oh, that'll cost about $5,000. And then I said, boy, I need to fix the, you know, I need to fix the furnace. Oh, that'll cost $5,000. And after I'd lived here about a year, I realized everything costs $5,000. That's insane. And so what you, what you end up doing is you end up, you end up looking at, at home improvement projects, like how many HMUs is it going to be? If we remodel the guest room, that's four HMUs. If if you want to redo a kitchen, you're looking at five to six HMUs. If you want to just like put a new roof on the house, it's probably one to two HMUs. Really? Yeah. And that's extraordinary. HMUs are just a thing that you have to you have to you have to factor into owning a home. You can't you can buy your house and you can live in it for five to ten years and then shit's gonna start breaking. And when it does, you are gonna you're gonna learn that the man with the clipboard comes to the house, and he's gonna you know you might you might get your gutters replaced for a half of an HMU, 0.5 HMUs, mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know forget about forget about anybody coming to look at your pipes or your your basic like infrastructure of the house for less than less than about 0.5 to one HMU. Do you have a thought on uh, high-density housing? Do I? <clears throat> I asked because I, I learned some, not tragic news, but bummer news last week. Um, I know I don't need to ask you this. You, we've been to Flax, right? <laughs> a couple times. <laughs> they got to they move. Oh, no. Yeah, 23, something like 23,000 square, square feet of art supplies and incredibly helpful people. Uh, they got to move because they're going to put some condos in there. And the thing is, the city really, really, really needs. The, well, yeah, the space. and that's that's one of those locations where when you realize that, like that prime space is being taken up with little wood human models. <laughs> that's kind little, of their like, canonical item, I think. Little it's on, literally sketching. on the sign outside. <laughs> yeah, little sketcher dolls or whatever those things are called. Well, where else uh, am I going to go for precisely the pen that I want? You know. Well, that's the thing. Now you're going to have to, you're going to have to uh, get in the car and go out to, yeah, you know, go out to Sausalito. Ugh. 
Well, I mean, this is the this is the thing that that we've seen here in King County in Seattle. If you don't want all the surrounding farms to be turned into tract housing, you have to submit to the fact that they're going to redevelop your city in such a way where they tear down nice old churches and they tear down what they consider what the conventional wisdom right now considers to be inefficient old Victorian housing or Mm -hmm. one story uh, retail. And they put in IOVH, I call it IOVH inefficient old Victorian housing. (laughs) IOVH. Yeah. They tear, they tear that shit down. Each one's about 20,000 HMUs. (laughs) And they, they construct these new buildings, which are quote unquote green. And about half of the, uh, half of the construction material is actually blown in in a hose. Right? <laughs> they like they build some they build some galvanized tin superstructure to hold their blown in like newspaper as they as they tear out hundred and fifty year old solid boards. Yeah, right. Uh, like old uh, homes made out of old growth fur. They're just ripping it down and shipping it off to a to a landfill so they can build this green housing. And then you're living in a habit trail. With I think that's what these are going to be. The reason I mentioned that, I, I, <clears throat> I need to look at that article again, but I think these are going to be those like home of the future type condos, you know, that's like living in an RV. Oh, yeah. You know that's- the thing they're doing now where you can get like <clears> – <throat> it's kind of been a been – a, at least on the, in the paper and stuff. They've talked a lot lately about San Francisco and you know a future where we might have more and more like 300 square foot. Oh sure, apartments. What what they would what, their ideal situation is that every new housing is just like turned. It's just something out of the Tokyo airport, where you put you, you put four hundred <laughs> yen. Room, there's room for your your fixie and your hand job machine. That's yeah, about you it. put four hundred yen into a slot. A little tube opens. You cl- <laughs> it's like a torpedo tube. You climb in there face down. Your penis just naturally goes into the hand job slot. <laughs> And and then there's like a screen that's playing you uh, anime videos, like manga videos uh, of like a rabbits with vaginas dancing for you. And your your all your functions are naturally the tube goes right up your butt. They're so to collect far, they're so far ahead of us. Corn effluvians. <laughs> the problem is, of course, that. Okay, here's here's a here's a, 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 a inefficient uh, Victorian housing unit, right? And the prospect of shared housing, where each room in that house would be someone's apartment, and they would pay, you know, it'd be, it's the classic sort of college shared house. Well, that's the old way of, li- of living. That's the way that, I mean, that, that's the way that house was designed originally, because the reason it has so many bedrooms is that grandma lived with you, and your spinster aunt lived there, and your, your like, your tetched brother-in-law lived there, and... All these people were living together in the house. And then for many years, it was just like a hippie flop house or people were sharing these rooms. But now the prospect of sharing a kitchen with strangers or sharing a, sharing even a common area with strangers fills us with anxiety. Mm-hmm. And we would much rather have a smaller and more antiseptic living environment where we can go close our door be away from other people. No one, you know, in a way we are becoming a culture. And I never thought I would say this, but like where introversion is, is setting the standard for, for the way we build and think about our space. You think about so? Space in a sense that like 
just in my own life, just in my own adult life, 20 years ago, and it wasn't just because I was young, but like, what did you do on a Saturday night? If you weren't going to a rock show, you were going to some alternative theater or like the... the Playing your baby grand piano. <laughs> the, uh, the alternatives were all public. It was, if you weren't even social, somebody, social, social, even yeah. if you weren't, even if you were somebody who was very, uh, like solitary without, I mean, it, it, you could stay alone in your apartment, but even the most solitary person needs some kind of interaction. Mm-hmm. And it and you had to get that in a in the public sphere. You had to go to an event or at least go out and wander around. And in the last twenty years, all of our innovation has happened in the sphere of allowing people to interact with other people without hmm. going out. That's interesting. And so, if, if so, if why, I were, why would you have why would you have a, an eight room house? In a way, it's almost like housing becomes does for housing. It's like it's doing for housing what the cloud does for data, where we don't have to have our own hard drive sitting around. We don't need a place to put our grand piano effectively. If you're going to mostly be – if you're going to be working at Twitter for 16 hours a day, pop into Doc's Clock for two hours, and then ride back to your pod, like why, why would you need all of that stuff? Right. And, and increasingly, like what do you need in your house? You need a sink. You need a, you need a <laughs> lots shower. Of pow- lots of power outlets. Lots of power outlets. Nobody takes a bath anymore. You just need a kind of like – you're, and you, we don't even really need to shower. It could just be compressed air, uh, you know, that just blows the dirt off of you. And then you have a microwave, and you have one sort of heating element that that convects your pot so that it boils some water for your ramen. <laughs> Screen for seamless dot com. <laughs> and and uh, and you need a poop chute. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> and for now, at least. You need a you need a box of Kleenex for your jizz because nobody has figured out a way to recycle that. If they're if they're going to knock down flax in order to put up tiny condos, I hope there's going to be some uh, some jizz apertures. Well, there won't be because because you and I don't have the do, do not have the widespread agency yet no. to be affecting like zoning. We're touching people, but only a few at a time. Yeah, and yeah. I, and I and I feel like I don't necessarily think that housing people in pods is is the wrong direction but again i mean and i and and i I will be the last guy to reference the matrix movies over and over and over you sure (laughs) but but like those little gel those little gel filled like yes uh, it's it's basically it's like a human ramekin you sit in there like a dessert product Right, and you are you are unaware of the outside world. You're unaware that you are even that your world isn't the world you perceive it to be. It's just a little holding. It's just a little soap dish that that uh, that you know keeps you alive as you generate and, energy for the robots. As you generate energy for the robots, and I mean it's it's amazingly prescient when you start to. When you start to imagine that the that the next genera- the next iteration of our modern world is a lot closer to the first step toward that eventuality than it is a step in a different direction, right? You know, like sure, put me in a smaller apartment and and put my virtual headset on and and give me a give me a sex friend, and uh, you know, and and uh, the the these super ferrets that have become sort of 
sort of self-aware because they are eating this high nutrition food. The super ferrets are basically performing the role of helper monkeys. Oh, that's terrific. <laughs> they can help. They can turn pages for you. They can well, plug, they plug in to... your plug in your uh, your your walking walking stairs. Yeah, they, they they have a natural affinity for going up high, and they want to go up there and reach stuff for you, like that. <laughs> Who wants a treat? Yeah, get up there. Hey, hey, ferret buddy. You know, mm-hmm. like. If you don't bring me down my uh, Cocoa Krispies, I'm not going to give you your little <laughs> nutritive, uh, you know, like a pearl jam. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, goodness. <clears throat> <laughs> oh, man. It takes a village. <laughs> pearl jam. Is that where that comes from? <clears throat> I figured that was a little on the nose, but is that the... Uh... You know, they claim that it's named after... Grandma Pearl's Jam. Uh, somebody, I heard it was a photo. The John, there was a drawing from uh, John Lennon's son. There was Lucy in the sky. Um, so, hmm. Yeah. You got 10CC. You got Steely Dan. Uh-huh. Super a lot Ferrets. A lot of rock, uh, rock sex crossover. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it all the time in my own life. Is that right? Well... If you're, just, the, if you're feeling the pull to, to, to make a dick joke in your band name. I, I just, I feel like as you get to, as you get, as you arrive at a certain station in life, I, I was watching this documentary the other day uh, where George Hamilton appears in the documentary. John Milius? I was watching that John Milius documentary. Wasn't yeah. that a hell of a thing? That was an extraordinary documentary. It was, I did not know. I didn't either. About what happened. Well, for, I mean, I knew he was a little bit unusual. I didn't know he was had that many photos of himself taken in uniforms with guns. Yeah. But I didn't know what happened to him. That's so sad. Well, it, I mean, certainly the stroke is sad, but, but the... Uh, Spoilers. <laughs> but the... Um, certainly the stroke is sad. <laughs> the, like, I, I, I was not aware that he made Red Dawn. I, mean, I, I didn't know he did Conan. I, I made a reference him. to Red Dawn the other day because I feel like the I feel like the logic of Red Dawn made so much sense to me as a teenager. Like so, somebody in the documentary, there's some like you know do gooder. Uh, there's a whole, this whole segment about all the scare segments about what yeah. Red Dawn means about oh, America in the eighties. Yes. And some guy says like the oh, most violent, know. the most violent movie ever made. They say only only a teenager would watch this movie, and then he turns to the camera and he's like, only a dumb teenager. And I was like, excuse me, sir, I was that teenager. And you you tested very well. And Red Dawn, you know, Red Dawn was a movie that the the plot of Red Dawn had occurred to us all. For 15 years, you couldn't have grown up during the Cold War without imagining, because we all saw the day after, and we'd been, and the day after was was pandering to an idea that we'd already had a million times. Mm-hmm. Like if if we it was basically believed, it was apocalypse porn. Yeah, if if nuclear war is inevitable, then your options are either you are vaporized in the first instance and have no. Uh, have no awareness of it, or you are chemically poisoned and die a, a, a gruesome death in a in a burned yeah, out basically apost- basically looking like a non-player character in a terrible D campaign right or your third option is somehow you survive it either because you live way out in montana or because you are a mutant and you have a and you are immune to uh to radiation or the radiation only makes you stronger or something 
And then what? They uh, didn't explore that fully. <laughs> but of the of the three options, when you're let's say you're a 13 year old, here are your three options: either you are vaporized instantly and you don't know anything, or you get sick and die in short order, or maybe you become a mutant rebel leader. Which one, which idea are you going to spend more time thinking about? Oh yeah. And so, I mean. But 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 realizing now that Red Dawn that the that the logic of Red Dawn uh, is powering our whole generation, we we no longer have a Soviet threat. People are able to insert whatever threat, whatever the threat de jour is, into the into that uh, function machine of like here's my Red Dawn function machine. I don't care what the what the the reason is that I end up having to move out to the grid and defend my land but uh, and i'll put a new thing in there as suits mm-hmm. but what my fantasy is is that is that some like new world order some big overarching power comes after me and i have to king of the sewer dwelling morlocks yeah right i i, I i'm king of the, the mole men or the or the like country people or whatever and we fight a we fight a war of resistance like it's fascinating, and I mean, I wonder, I wonder how much my own fantasy life is still locked in a red dawn. John, you, you can't circle. you can't tell people today about the '80s because it's it's so frankly unbelievable. Something we've talked about probably two or three times that I hear people talk about this, and everybody sloughs this off like it wasn't a real thing, but. The absolute obsession that everything was about Satanism for a while was – it was everywhere, whether that was D&D or whether that was Judas Priest or whatever it was. And But there were people on TV shows that my grandmother watched that sat there and played records backwards because they thought it was really, it was really telling. Do you remember when every daycare in the country was actually a Satanist sex ring? Yeah, that's – And they were – like little old ladies were raping our babies. That one story is Say. so chilling about the – the mother and the son at that place, the uh, that famous case, oh, absolutely chilling. But you know, it's it's another one of these hysterias where every once in a while the village has to just completely freak out about the other, and then just insert you know name of other here. Whatever happened to Satanists? I imagine there are more Satanists. I mean, just going on the number of people I see wearing pentagram necklaces yeah. at Comic Con. I think irony has been hard on Satanists. It's a Satan. Satanism is, uh, it's not very hip. I mean, I yeah. think it was hip, but I think it was one thing to be like an Anton LaVey guy mm-hmm. in the 60s and 70s or something. You know what I mean? It was one thing to be like into the magics, uh, mm-hmm. back then. And today I think it's, it seems a little, um, I don't know. I, I think it, it, it seems ludicrous. Do you remember the Eddie Murphy movie where he went to Tibet? Or, yeah, uh, the I golden Tibet, child, the golden child, right? And <laughs> just barely, <laughs> and and uh, like I, I, or maybe it was Nepal. No, I think it was Tibet. And and he was he was trying to escort the the new llama who was just a little boy, and the llama had to get back to Tibet for some reason. But then Satan was involved. What somehow? And actual s- according to Hoyle, Satan. Well, that's the thing. Like, there were some bad men mm. who were trying to capture the golden child because the golden child would did some uh, capturing him in a giant bird cage was going to help them advance their <laughs> evil. It scheme. Sounds like a fever dream. <laughs> and, and and I highly recommend everybody watch the Golden Child again. Okay. It's a great Eddie Murphy vehicle. Uh, it's and, no coming to America. <laughs> and uh, but but like somewhere along the line in the film. 
uh, I think probably when the screenwriters, uh, when, when like the, the, the first run of cocaine had run out and they, they were like, <laughs> you know, they were like seven pizza boxes deep and they were just like, okay, all right, now what happens? Well, right. Uh, these guys are, these bad guys are actually Satan and demon. They're demons. Right. And then the chief bad guy is the devil. And I was, and I was like, I even remember watching this movie as a teenager and, and asking like, is the devil part of the like cosmology of Tibetan Buddhism? I don't think of it being a real demon centered. Mm, that um, sounds like a, like a, like a high school creative writing thing. But like the bad guy is a real Anton. Those are different Bay. pantheons, I think. Yeah, right, 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 right. But this movie like really spiraled out into into a world of it got it got very it, in a way it, it it was I don't remember which one came first I think maybe Golden Child but there it got into some real big trouble in Little China territory. <laughs> Where, yeah, I gotta watch that. You keep reminding me. I gotta watch that. You know where there's some supernatural powers that that maybe hint at <laughs> it's that whole '80s thing where it's like there's a there's a really bad guy here who has some enormous power, like he's eternal, but somehow the the stakes of this film are are pretty small. Like, like this, this eternal Chinese uh, demon uh, needs to marry a girl with green eyes. Okay, that seems like something he could have done over the last. Here's like, here's the thing. Um, did you ever see the original Rosemary's Baby, the Roman Polanski Rosemary's Baby? No, because you know how I am about scary movies. It's the thing I is, I, I watched movies. it probably in the last three or four months, and I have to say, it's. It's so awfully good, and it is so chilling. And here's part of what there's so, a lot about it that's great. I mean, there's so many layers, especially once you've got a kid. It gets is especially baby good. a devil baby? Well, that's the thing, and this is what makes it great. So if there was a guy with a pitchfork and horns running around going tee-hee-hee, it would be silly. But it's all of these people who are doing creepy stuff. There's well, the two big parts of it. Three. First is pregnancy. Okay. Anytime you got pregnancy and that like what, what happens in that whole scary. crazy, insane body, you know, destroying process. That's right. interesting. Yes. And then B, yes, you do have these people who appear to be, you know, involved in some pretty bad business with Satan. But finally, there is no like guy with horns in it. And uh-huh. that's what makes it work to even today is yeah. you don't need the devil to be real in order for Satanists to be scary. Cause if they think that they're working and, and they're, they're basically passing, as people who are just your nice old people neighbors, you know, Ruth Gordon, last person in the world you think would be a crazy Satan person, right? Well, yeah, but what they, well, that's, that's what makes that effective is it's not too on the nose. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's, oh, Satan is a lot scarier when you can't see him. Well, and, and where in this case, like it, it kind of, I mean, like there's stuff that I don't want to spoil it for you because you should see it. It's good. Uh, okay. I'll watch it. I'll watch it. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, uh, in that case, okay. But speaking, finally, speaking of the Dalai Lama, big hit of the Lama to me saying that, Red Dawn like makes kids want to go fight the Cold War is like saying Caddyshack makes people want to play golf. It's like it misses what it is about the movie that's so compelling. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Red Dawn, that's a big part of it. But I mean, Red Dawn is about a more basic, yeah, little Lord of the Flies maybe, but it's really about 
you know, what happens to, when the parents go away and wanting to be part and wanting to be an important part of something important to not just be a cog that has all this theoretical stuff that might happen in the future for them to really need you to save the day and your special high school skills might actually be useful for some reason. Mm-hmm. That, that to me is what makes it great. I mean, yeah, it was certainly timely and it was done that way for a reason, but I don't think it was primarily about politics. I think it's about wanting to blow shit up. Absolutely. Well, wanting, yeah, wanting the, the, the desire that every kid has to Wolverines. <laughs> to have your parents all die. I mean, it's, it's like, I think innate, you don't want, you don't want to kill your parents. You don't want to be responsible for them dying, but you would secretly kind of love it if they just all died somehow mm-hmm. and you were forced to remake the world in your own sort of with your teenage wisdom to to remake the world as as it should be could be i mean the 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 amazing thing about red dawn to me is that jennifer gray (laughs) oh i forgot jennifer gray was in that of course you love it jennifer fucking gray is in that movie jennifer gray classic classic jennifer gray that's right not uh jennifer gray not new jennifer gray (laughs) um and like nobody there's no kissing in it like at one point somebody makes uh like a gesture to jennifer gray that is immediately like she rebuffs it as a like a tough she's a tough girl with no uh, uh, takes no shit off of anybody and like here are these teenagers boys and girls together and it's a very you know it's a very um it comported with my understanding of sexual politics, even in the 80s. People think, I, I think a lot of young people feel like they're the first ones to ever think about feminism or gay rights. But of course, in the 80s, we were, we were like soaking in it, right? I mean, that was the, that was the atmosphere that we had been raised in too. And we were maybe, uh, a raw less it, it, the, the the idea of what was ne- uh, what was to come was less codified but we were wrestling with all those same ideas and and that was what i imagined would happen you know if 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 the if all the adults were killed and we were living in a post apocalyptic apocalyptic world um it was it was clear to me that it was not going to that the system that we built out of the ashes was not going to be the old patriarchal system. It was going to be a new, we were going to make a new world Mm. and it was going to be one where, um, where there was a a kind of equality that wasn't possible. And that at the time we couldn't imagine how we would get from where we were to where we were going. It seemed like maybe all the adults would have to die for us to, to build the, world we imagined but but it was it was a much more egalitarian uh future the red dawn future the post we all knew that the cold war was was bananas and it was sort of evidence that adults were bananas well and also like all teenagers we knew that the system was basically corrupt and unfixable in its current state yeah but like again like all teenagers we could not possibly imagine that really what all it would take was yeah. 20 years. We weren't going to get there by writing to our congressman. Yeah, 20 years from now, we would be the adults. And most of us would have survived to adulthood with some of those 
some of those new ideas intact. I mean, hard to hard to imagine that that would be an interesting reading for a thesis paper. The you know the ultimately like feminist egalitarian under message of Red Dawn. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I don't think that I'm going to write that paper because I'm not trying to graduate from. How college. about that? Uh, how about that George Hamilton though? Huh? Oh my god. Oh my God, it was so wonderful to see old Hollywood for a second, just completely unchecked. He's, he's, he's <laughs> sucking on a cigar and he's like, he said he was, I said, how many hookers can we get out to Palm Springs before the end of the day? You know, and it's just like, no I, more motorcycles, no more guns, <laughs> no more women. I'm taking them all away. It's just and he like, sent me, sent me over a hundred telegrams. <laughs> <laughs> it was so, it was so great. So like, who knew? But of course, we all knew. It's just nobody. Nobody goes on record really just talking that way, except uh, except for our man. Did you ever see Viva Knievel? Uh, is that one of those mo- those movies that uh, is referred to in the documentary? Well, there's there's an Evil Knievel. <laughs> we don't have time to get into this. There's one Evil Knievel movie. The early one is the one that Millie <laughs> wrote on, which uh-huh. is the one starring. Um, Starring George Hamilton. And I, I really love any kind of a 70s promo reel where somebody's in, like, fully decked out as the character, but then comes out and talks to the uh, people in the theater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hi, I'm George Hamilton. But I've said about Evil Knievel. There's another one called Viva Knievel, starring Evil... I think it's called Viva Knievel, starring Evil Knievel, uh, co-starring... Um, oh, oh, God, who is it? It's uh, Gene... Um, who's the dancer? Gene uh, Genet? Oh no, uh, not Fred Astaire, but Gene. Oh, Ginger Rogers. <laughs> no, Gene uh, Kelly. Gene Autry. Kelly. Yeah, Gene. Kelly. Gene Kelly's in it. Yeah. No, what? Really? Yeah. Yeah. In an no. evil can evil movie. Evil can evil movie it starts out There's... with evil. It starts out with a uh, 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 inside of an orphanage run by nuns, and evil can evil has broken into the orphanage full of nuns in the middle of the night to hand out evil can evil branded toys to all the kids. Oh, sure, of course, that used to happen all the time. I remember the, the, I was an orphan. The, 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 <laughs> <laughs> Hi, John. <laughs> oh, Evil Knievel, I killed my parents to be here. How many nights did I wish I could wake up and see Evil Knievel waiting for me with a toy? Just hold it, says, just standing over me with one of those, like, uh, Evil Knievel on a motorcycle toy. We wind it up? Oh, I love that thing. Great. I was obsessed with him. And, I kind of was, too. And later, J.J. Arms, of course. I was totally obsessed with J.J. Arms. How many times did you jump your dirt bike over some in you know some like uh drainage culvert had an eight inch scar on my left leg <laughs> yeah, yeah. My, my, my favorite was we built a we built a cart out of a wagon like a rocket cart out of a wagon and some plywood like a calvin and hobbs danger yeah, yeah, yeah. wagon <laughs> and we we started down the and we had open culverts in our neighborhood we started down the the hill and the and we couldn't steer the thing because we had we had taken the taken all the steering controls and rebuilt them and they broke instantly and this thing went down into the ditch and slammed into the cement culvert oh. at a high rate of speed and I mean there was blood everywhere uh, my blood everybody's blood it was a pretty bad but it was basically the Snake River Canyon jump uh, oh. on a smaller scale oh my god I used to love to watch those movies of him crashing Caesar's Palace. Oh man, Kings Island! He did a big jump at Kings Island right by my house on Harley Davidsons. 
Like yeah. these guys that are flying through the sky on on their uh, on their you know Kawasaki two fifties or whatever. Isn't that, that, just... that kind of like like trying to jump something in a Cadillac? Yeah, basically, it's, really, it's, it's strong, but it's heavy. Very it's a twenty five hundred right? pound like welded steel with with you know with kind of pumped up. Seems like you'd, you'd use a Yamaha or something. Well, it was it was the USA man. His fucking costume was an American flag, a sparkly American flag. Everything I own is red, white, and blue. <laughs> He's not going to drive a goddamn Kawasaki. Come on. Yeah. Evil Knievel. <laughs> it's right there in the name, America. It's right there in the fucking name. It's an anagram of America with a V instead of a W. But he is, a, a is evil. Either. And then, of course, he moved to Florida, and uh, he got arrested at a Bennigan's near our house for beating a guy up with a baseball bat. See, that, at mm. that they don't make him like that. George anymore. Hamilton never did that. I hope they say that about me one day. <laughs> Whatever happened to John Roderick? Uh, he just got arrested at a Bennigan's in Florida for beating up a guy with a baseball bat. Again. <laughs> All right, there you go. Yeah, that was that was cool. That's a lot of hand jobs.